This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today's show is all about how do we get the auto industry back into action again, back on its feet. Recently, automakers started building new cars and trucks again, which is great, but there's going to be a big hole to fill to get things back to normal. And remember, the auto industry employs in the United States almost a million people. And when you add up all the economic activity it generates, it comes to almost $1 trillion. So the faster we get the U.S. auto industry back on its feet, the faster the U.S. economy gets back on its feet and vice versa. So today I'm bringing in three people to get us three different points of view of what's going on. Debbie Dingle is the U.S. representative for Michigan's 12th district, and she's going to be giving us a political view of what's going on. Julie Freem is the chief executive officer for the Original Equipment Suppliers Association, and Steve Finley is with Ward's Auto Dealer and has got a great view of what's going on on the retail side of the business. And I want to thank all three of you for joining me today. Thanks, thank John. You, thank I was going to wear a mask to induce the president to uh, wear one uh, in Ypsilanti uh, when it shows up. But yeah. Well, no need to wear a mask with us all being remote today. <laughs> but Debbie, let me start with you. Uh, I'd love to know what you see going on in Washington. You've been very involved in a bipartisan effort to get money and assistance to automakers, suppliers, and the like. Can you give us a snapshot of where that stands right now? So, John, and I've been working with Julie a lot, so it's good to see her here. I've sort of I view this as the ecosystem. Many people want to compare this to 2008, and this is not 2008, and it's not the same issues. So we have to do, I, I divide it into three categories. One, we're witnessing this week, which is the reopening of both the suppliers and the car companies safely, putting protocols into place that keeps workers safe. Uh, we've not had formal, formal OSHA standards, but I have spent a great deal of time with everybody uh, trying to ensure that they have what they need, keeping people talking to each other. And this week really matters. Uh, I think Rory Gamble, the president of the UAW, is rightly worried about people going back into the plants and listening to the protocols and following the protocols that have been put into place, which is why it does matter if the president wears a mask or not when he's in the plants. This is week one. Uh, I think that many people have the worry that people will begin to get a false sense of, of complacency and not do what they have been told in, that they need to do when these plans are put together with both labor and the autos. So that's phase one. Two is what I've been working with Julie a great deal, liquidity for not only the OEMs, but the supplier community. 
particularly tiers two and three, so that they have the money that they need to operate. And we're trying to get Main Street, the Main Street program that was passed in the first CARES One bill, Treasury, to help make some of those dollars available. And we're also working with the OEMs to make sure they're trying to help suppliers, but also make sure they have the liquidity that they need. Once we get those two problems, we're up and we're producing, then you got to worry about the demand side. There's no agreement on what needs to be done for an economic stimulus package. Should it just be autos or should it be for larger consumer products like furniture and appliances as well as vehicles? Lots of discussions. And the one thing that I think matters is keeping everybody together. Because if we don't stay together, if there isn't common ground in the ecosystem of the industry itself, you will never get anything through Washington. Yeah, no, that's a great point about how the industry's got to work together. And Julie, Debbie raises a really good point vis-a-vis suppliers, liquidity. Mm-hmm. As you know, uh, the automakers don't pay their suppliers until 60 days after they've received any parts and components from them. So even though they've gone back into production right now, it's going to be a couple of months from now before they get paid. So. What are you hearing from your members and what are you looking for from Washington in terms of help? You're exactly right, John. It is 60 days um, until they get paid and they haven't shipped for 60 days. So they really have no incoming revenue for the next 60 days. Yet they have to pay labor um, as we start up. They had to incur the startup cost uh, to put all the safety protocols in place. And then they also have to buy all their raw materials. So a very expensive time as they restart their businesses. And this is where it's different than 2008 and nine, because in eight and nine, we never fully shut down. Here we shut down for 60 days. It's um, really going to take its toll on the supplier community. Yeah, is there uh, any glimmers of help that you see out there vis-a-vis automakers, maybe the the lending institutions or the government? There's been a lot of activity and certainly the automakers always support their distressed suppliers. So as as those kinds of issues come into play, they will absolutely uh, support them. However, what um, we're talking about here in terms of liquidity is focusing much more on the tier twos and threes and helping them basically get through the next 60 days, plus some, of course, uh, to bring their businesses back online. And that's where they have very little liquidity. Um, And uh, what we're talking about is using some of the monies um, that Representative Dingell talked about, using some of those monies to make sure the suppliers can make it through that time period. Yeah. Steve, what are you hearing from the retailers, the car dealers? I mean, this is where uh, Debbie had brought that up earlier. You know, we got to have demand. What are you hearing from them? Well, they're anxious to start selling cars again in the quantities that they were before. Um, There are always optimistic dealers are. And um, I think that there are um, the sales are de- delayed sales. They're not lost sales. I think a lot of surveys have indicated that. Uh, Car Gurus did a study, and they found that 80% of the people they surveyed said um, they they do you know want to buy a car. They just don't want to buy it now. And only about 8% said they're indefinitely shelving plans to 
to buy a car. So they're anxious to, to start selling again. And a lot of consumers are anxious to buy from for need purposes and otherwise. But I would just really quickly point out on the production side that a lot of lay people or people that aren't necessarily familiar with the auto industry don't realize how hard it is to get a plant up and going again. It's not a question of flipping the lights back on and everything's fine. And I think you alluded to it on one of your um, your daily shows, John, where Mercedes-Benz, what was it, last month, they were one of the first to open their plants. And they did it prematurely because they found out they didn't have the parts or enough parts to build their vehicles. So they had to close the plant down and now they're reopening. So it's a very complex thing to do. Yeah, it sure, yes. sure is. Debbie, uh, you know, there's been talk about maybe a cash for clunkers or something like that. It was, for some people, a controversial program a decade ago, but it really helped out dealers. Do you think there might be something like that in the cards? So I hate the word cash for clunkers, and any program we do isn't <laughs> going to be a cash for clunkers because we don't have clunkers out there. Uh, I think that there is... Uh, are a variety of proposals that people are talking about. Uh, some people want voucher, some people want some kind of incentive. Other people are talking, as uh, I was mentioning earlier, some kind of tax incentive that would be broader than the auto industry. I also think that there's going to be a difference this time as well. We're going to have a used car market. And a lot of people who've taken mass transportation, they've already seen this in Europe and other countries that have been hit by COVID weeks before we were, people don't want to return to mass transportation. So many times they're buying their first vehicle, even if they're in their 40s or their 50s. So you're going to see a used car market out there too. I think there are a number of ideas on the table and there's nothing that's going to pass that doesn't have agreement by the industry and doesn't have a bipartisan agreement because we have a Democratic House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican White House. So we're all working together to see where there is common agreement. I will tell you the other challenge is going to be that nobody is going to help incentivize or drive demand for what they consider to be a foreign manufacturer. And that the definition of what a foreign manufacturer becomes more complicated year after year. John, can I ask the Congresswoman a question? Yeah, please, please. Um, well, two questions, actually. One is what... Uh, how much uh, bipartisanship is do you sense in this thing? Are there differences according to the parties? And number two, if there is a, a, a program like Cash for Clunkers, although, as you say, that's not applicable anymore, um, do you think that it would um, be something that would be uh, encouraging uh, electric vehicles like the last time? So I'm going to – it is – I'm talking to my colleagues every single day uh, who want to put in environmental regulations now. And we're going to be looking at, I've already got colleagues that want to call it the automobile stimulus package and put EV uh, tax credits, et cetera, into the bill right away. And we need to look at that. We know enough, most of the manufacturers are looking at going there. But I'm trying to tell everybody that there's an immediate short-term need, that for six months, we got to make sure that these companies are operating, that the suppliers are solid, dealers are moving product out of the showrooms. And quite frankly, there isn't, people don't have confidence in electric vehicles right now. They don't trust the range, and we don't have the EV infrastructure that we need to do. So there are, trust me, my leadership, Democratic leadership, both the House and Senate, 
want to put that in there and we need to look at that longer term, but I'm trying to just make sure we have a stable industry right now. And I would actually say there's disagreement intra-party too uh, about whether anything should happen and probably in both parties. Fred Upton and I are working in a very bipartisan way. We did get a letter that had more than 50 very people were impressed with the bipartisan nature of the letter that uh, Fred and I led. So I am working and putting together a bipartisan coalition. Not everybody in either party likes bipartisan coalitions. I'm a pragmatist. It's not going to happen without it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it's got to be from both sides of the aisle or it's not going to move forward or, or it's going to take forever and then we're in deeper trouble. But, and, but I will say that um, Nancy Pelosi and Steny hear me, listen to me, know I'm the car girl, and uh, they're watching closely. I think they are, Steny really was critical uh, in the, well, as was Nancy, they were both critical. In 2008, they understand the industry. I think Nancy is, or the speaker is probably nervous about industry specific, but she hasn't said it. I mean, they did the, they did, uh, aviation, but we don't even have, there isn't something that all the autos want or are asking for yet. Right now we're focused on liquidity and working with Julie and others to make sure that, that that's problem two. Let's get through that, then you move to stage three. Yeah, Julie, let, let's talk about that liquidity a little bit more. Uh, recently had a show with the consultant Paul Eichenberg on. Mm -hmm. He's saying he expects to see twice as many bankruptcies among suppliers. Now, this is global, not just in the U.S., than we saw during the Great Recession. How, how does the OESA see this going? I don't know about twice as many, but I certainly think we're going to see some suppliers in distress. Um, our recent survey indicated that over 20% of the suppliers had less than eight weeks of liquidity um, left if they didn't start up. So that gives you an idea of how tight some of these manufacturers are. And it really is the um, tier twos and threes that are struggling here. It's not the ones that are fully capitalized that can go to the market and issue bonds and you know generate capital. It is these small, privately held, 100 people companies that there are thousands of them that support the industry. And that's where we need to uh, bolster, help those companies make sure that they can make it through the next 60 days and then beyond as, as Debbie Dingle indicated, we've got to do that. And Debbie, that is so key. Um, one of the points I wanted to make on the restart here is that it was so important that as a North American region, we did it all together and we all worked together. And this is to your point, Steve, about Mercedes. It, a part of the supply base wasn't ready, and it was across the entire region. Really, it's global, but we had to make sure that we could do this in a comprehensive way. So there's been a lot of time spent here in the U.S. pulling uh, that the suppliers together here, but also with Mexico and with Canada and making sure that uh, we are connected and starting together. One other comment I wanted to make on the EV thing, uh, issues is it's really hard to convince people to buy an EV when gas prices are where they are right now. <laughs> so we're going to struggle with that um, for a little bit with uh, oil as low as it is right now. Which is Steve, a I've, problem, okay. by the way. I want to, well, we're going to struggle and we get that the demand isn't there. Look at what sales were 
in March, the sales of trucks. The consumers feel like they want something that's big and safe. Yet there are many elected officials, many policymakers that do not think that that's acceptable. So while we know the demand's not going to be there because of lower gasoline prices, that the internal combustion engine is not politically acceptable to them. So that continuing pressure to move to zero carbon emissions is still going to be there. And this industry is going to have to focus on that. And if there is a change in administration in November, the real world is going to descend on them very quickly. Yeah, no question. I, I, we have to continue that focus. Sorry, John. Yeah, no, that's okay. Steve, I, I've got a question for you. Uh, we're seeing the retailers, the car dealers, doing a lot of online selling, promising people that they'll have contactless delivery. Do you think that's going to be more the norm as we come out of this? I mean, so much of us do so much online shopping anyway. And as you know, most consumers really don't like going to a car dealership. So could this flip that? Yeah, well, I asked that question of a number of people, and the answers ranged from, yes, this is, you know, we're diving into the new world and we're not going to go back. And then other people said they think that there will be uh, sort of a retrenchment when uh, things open up. I, I do believe that um, people uh, have tried it and found out that it works. Uh, at some point, they've discovered that uh, – People actually, once they have done all their homework and selections online, they like going into the dealership and they want to meet the car and they want to meet the person that's selling them the car. Now, they don't want to wait four hours, you know, to go through all that, but nor should they if they've done all that work online. So, yeah, I think that there's unwittingly these advancements towards online car buying or shopping and researching. Um that that there weren't before. So I, I, I suppose that's good, but we'll see where it goes if people will just go back to the way they did it before or if, uh, if they'll dive into this thing completely. It's an intriguing uh, concept, though. Yeah, no, I, I like what you said. When I said people don't like going to dealerships, you're right. They don't like going for hours to fill out paperwork. Yeah. They're very excited to go pick up their car and drive <laughs> it home. That That's absolutely that's true. Part that takes place yeah. at the dealership. I'll make another observation. Cars, in a way, are like for a woman clothes, where you got to see what they look like on. You can do all your online research. I think you're going to see more online research, but people don't feel how they fit with that vehicle until they try it out. And I think we're that that's one of the most expensive expenditures they make every few years. And I think you're going to find that they're going to want to physically see that vehicle when it's safe to go back to it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Debbie, you've been talking about a, a number of different industries and all. I, I got to believe everyone's knocking on your door, knocking on Congress's door, saying we need help right now. I got to believe it's not just the auto industry. Well, I've, I'm the car girl. I'm focused on the industry, but I spend, you know, tonight's Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night, I'm on the phone with the same group of small business owners who are scared to death. They've gone through various some various phases. Some are still trying to get PPP. Others are, how do we reopen? Uh, some of them are restaurants. Some of them are small clothing businesses. Every industry, every business has got its own set of challenges. Until we have a vaccine, there are certain things that we're still going to be doing. And one of them is physical distancing, managing the, the spacing in your store. So a lot of people are worried from the very tiniest. I've got businesses of two or three people to businesses almost as large as the auto industry. Debbie, Look at what's uh, happening in retail. 
Yeah, Debbie, as you know, the auto industry jumped up and volunteered to start making respirators, ventilators, masks, and all this sort of stuff before the government even asked them to do so. Does that count for anything in the halls of Congress when the industry comes looking for help? Well, first of all, I don't think the industry is looking for help. All they're looking for is a little hand up. I, I, this is not a bailout. I will not hear that word or handout. But I think that, you know, we're still, we were the arsenal of democracy in the 40s and we're the arsenal of health uh, in 2020. And I'm really proud to represent this. I remind people of all the time. We had a hearing today, virtual hearing, uh, with the former head of the national stockpile who just left about how we ensure that we have the capability to respond to these pandemics. Uh, how and how do we make sure we've got the capability to have the, the product we need? And one of them is, do we have manufacturers such as the autos ready at the turn of a dime to produce what we may need and massive products? So uh, I make sure everybody knows what GM Ford and Chrysler, Chrysler has been making the PPE equipment and they've all been donating it to hospitals uh, as well and to frontline workers. I think we all need to remember and remember how important this industry is to the backbone. Of yeah, Julie, GM, GM Ford and Chrysler have been involved in that, but so have tier one suppliers. And I got to believe that, that you as the head of the uh, OESA were involved in this effort. We were. We were very involved uh, in the effort and helping to put uh, safety, health and safety guidelines uh, together. Uh, we worked across the entire industry with tier one suppliers as well as OEs to get those put together, to get those published, to establish a set of resources that the industry could use. Um, beyond that, at OESA, we also um, helped GM uh, uh, disseminate their uh, line plans, the actual assembly equipment plans for masks. That is available to automotive suppliers on our website. They can go and download that equipment um, the entire process for putting that together, as well as um, there are a number of suppliers that have loaded their health and safety plans right on our website, um, and they're available to all suppliers. So we've been very involved in that. How, I wanted how to go back to uh, a point um, that Debbie made. It's really important that we recognize what we're talking about is, in essence, a short-term loan to help these companies through a extraordinarily difficult period. Um, this is so different than 2008 and nine, and it's really important that that is captured and um, explained and understood by all of Congress and by, I think in general, the US population. It's just a different situation. Well, Julie, it's I think I know the answer, but what's the difference? From the standpoint of um, where, these companies are right now, they simply have no receivables coming in. So they are receiving no cash. They built and shipped nothing the last 60 days. Given that, they and they need to start back up again, they've got to spend the monies necessary to start back up. And that's the help they need. It's not that they're not profitable in the long run once they're up and running again. It's just the short-term need that they have. Versus there were a lot of uh, challenges in the marketplace in terms of profitability, infrastructure, uh, capital spend in 2008 and 2009 that were not balanced. 
Debbie, I think well, you were about to add something there. Well, no, I was going to say the people need to understand it. It Julie said it. It's a matter of cash flow. And quite frankly, 2008 was the result of mismanagement. This isn't mismanagement. This is one of those life impacting events that nobody anticipated. And we just have to get through it and we have to get through it together. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we're, we're not even through this thing right now. Uh, who knows when we will be through it. But I, I think it's torn about a $5 trillion hole in the U.S. economy. Yes. And unless that gets plugged, boy, things are going to be grim for a long time to come. Well, the chair of, chairman of the Fed said that we need to spend money now and we need to be investing now to keep our economy strong. And I wrote on my blog this morning, I went back last night, I didn't sleep. I was going back and reading the history of the New Deal and FDR and the building creation of an infrastructure uh, program and uh, the creating of jobs, which, and the men and women that worked felt like they were giving back to the community and they made an income and they gave back, uh, the revenue came into governments as well. With this dam breaking and two dams now breaking, in Michigan, it's a reminder that we have an aging, crumbling, broken infrastructure that needs to be fixed. And we can make investments in an infrastructure program that's been too political, too kick the can down the road, too partisan. And I hope we can do some things that'll strengthen the economy and fix some very broken things in America. And we'll come out at the end of this stronger, like we always do when we have crises. Steve, we've got uh, less than a minute left. Another question or a comment? No, I just, you know, for the life of me, I never thought uh, that the economy would be affected by a, a virus this way. <laughs> you know, it's it's still, I'm trying to get my head around it. It's still, you know, I, I grew up, you know, if you look at the world of economics, I, I don't think you see too many times where the entire world is affected by something like this economically. I mean, it is, you know, in other ways, but so... Yeah, it's a different uh, situation, but uh, in some term, in some ways, we're still uh, using the same solutions, which is good. And the, what the congresswoman just said is very reassuring. Yeah, I like the way that you ended up there, Debbie. And I want to thank you for being on the show today. Very much appreciate it. Julie Frame from OESA, Steve Finley from Wards Auto. Thank you, guys. Uh, going to be fascinating to watch as this all rolls out. I, Thanks for your time again. Thank, Thank you, you. Be safe. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.